co-host Landon Phillips. And I'm your co-host Michael Soto. And we are Gender Curious. The ways human beings experience and understand gender is always changing and evolving because human beings are always changing and evolving. This podcast is all about exploring all things gender with curiosity and not judgment. This podcast is for everyone who, like us, is interested in learning more about all things gender. As transgender historian and author of Transgender History, Susan Stryker said, because most people have great difficulty recognizing the humanity of another person if they can't recognize that person's gender, the gender-changing person can evoke in others a primordial fear of monstrosity or loss of humanness. That quote's topical for today because we're going to be talking about transgender people, uh, and we want you all to um, consider what this amazing academic and historian, uh, Susan Stryker, has said here, um, and perhaps actively work on uh, recognizing the humanity in other people, right? That's really the goal at the, the core of this podcast is for us to recognize the humanity in all people, in all forms of gender identity and gender expression. Mm -hmm. And a pretty um, good first step in doing that and putting the human back in the uh, trans experience is just having a basic understanding of what that even means. What yes. is a trans person's life like? So we're really excited to share this trans 101 with you. We are. So Landon, let's, let's get, get curious. curious. transgender people such a great question landon <laughs> i think we can answer that pretty well i think i think we're a little bit qualified a little bit qualified <laughs> yeah yeah uh, at least we can offer um some basic knowledge and how our experiences tie into that knowledge mm -hmm. yeah and a lot of what we'll share in this episode um some of it is like dictionary definitions some of it is diagnostic definitions some of it um, our ideas that are widely accepted, academically accepted, but a lot of it is also based on our own personal experience. Yep. Um, so if there are definitions in here that don't resonate with you or a description of maybe what things feel like for us that uh, feel different for you, feel free. We would love for you to share that with Absolutely. us. Um, we are more we're open to everybody's stories, and we just wanted to have a little disclaimer that we're speaking from our own knowledge and research and also from our own personal perspective. Exactly. Exactly. And there's no one way to be trans, right? Mm -hmm. There's no one experience of transness. Um, and so hopefully what we relate can help you relate to uh, a larger experience of people and to our experience. Uh, but by no means is it the, the same for everybody. Mm -hmm. And we love hearing other experiences and sharing yes, those with people much. as well. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right. So transgender people, mm -hmm. transgender people, the sort of big common definition or perhaps easiest definition for trans people as a whole is that uh, people, we are people whose gender identity is different from the gender uh, that we were thought to be at birth. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, a common term for that is the gender that you were assigned at birth. Yep. Um, so that's something that you might hear a lot in the trans conversation. Um, and there are some little acronyms that people use a lot. Um, and it's AMAB and AFAB standing for assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth. And when people are talking, sometimes they'll say AMAB or AFAB. Mm -hmm. um, and that just is referring to um, what they were assigned at birth, which can be really helpful in understanding somebody's experience. Yeah. Um, and it's not always relevant and it's not always an appropriate it's almost never an appropriate thing to ask someone out of nowhere. Sure. Um, but it is uh, something that people might bring up or have written in their bio. Right. Um, sometimes it's like a really quick offhanded thing. So it's kind of nice to know what those mean. AMAB and AFAB is um, referring to what gender somebody was assigned at birth or thought to be at birth. Um, and usually that's what they were raised right. or socialized as. Yeah. And I think these are probably relatively new ways of doing that. I think I feel like every 10 years, the community mm -hmm. kind of shifts with the language of how we're um, letting people know what our identities are um, and how that relates to 
uh, how we were assigned at birth and those sorts of things. And so these have really come into vogue, what do you think, last five, ten years, something like that? I've only been in the trans world in the last ten years. Okay, so okay. It's been there while I've been there. There you go. Um, it's definitely not something that I've ever used before, actually. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I think this might be something that's sort of a, the younger generation mm-hmm. or the that's more newly transition uh, folks. see it most. Yeah, me are, too. Are there other terms or ways that that is expressed that have been used in the past or that are yeah. still used by certain demographics in your experience? There's tons of ways. Um, I think when I was coming out and kind of new uh, to being trans in the trans community, um, M to F or F to M were very popular. Oh yeah. I, um, I, yeah. FTM and MTF. Yeah. That was, uh, that was, you know, uh, male to female or female to male. Right. So mm-hmm. it kind of let, you know, people know who you are now and, how you were assigned at birth, right? And so that was very popular for about 10 years. <laughs> um, no, yeah, people, yeah, I would say people definitely still use that. Yeah. I actually think I use that more often. I just forgot about it. Because <laughs> I don't always, it's not always, like doesn't always feel relevant. And I don't yeah. usually like announce that I'm trans in my day-to-day life. So right. I don't like use a lot of these. Yep. But sometimes it is um, like, if, especially if I'm offering myself kind of like as a resource to people yeah. for them to understand what my experience is. And a lot of people will phrase this as like, what direction of trans right. are you? You yep. know? <laughs> yep. Absolutely. And that is, that is a very different experience. Yeah. Um, in any direction that you're transing. <laughs> so, um, so it is kind of like nice to have those quick acronyms and ways yeah. to um, express that experience. It definitely is. Um, trans, just the word trans can also be sort of a shorthand for transgender. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you'll hear uh, people just using trans. Sometimes you'll hear people saying transgender. Um, it can all mean sort of relatively the same group of people, and both are used as an umbrella term as well, right? So, yeah. um, And what we mean by that is both transgender and trans are used as labels to refer to a lot of different kinds of people under that big term mm-hmm. and generally people that uh, are not cisgender <laughs> but there may be lo- there are lots of other identities under that or with that are possible within the trans umbrella mm-hmm. and a lot of um i'd say generally the trans community um likes to be referred to as like trans man, trans woman, trans person, you wouldn't say a transgender. Like transgender is not a noun. And that can feel very um, dehumanizing sometimes to be referred to just as your gender identity as an object. Um, But it's such like something that a lot of people aren't aware of. And it's really easy to do like, oh, he's a transgender. But it's just like, yeah, more polite to say a transgender man or a trans person. Yeah, um, and that is more of like a descriptor of your experience versus exactly. like a label that is your entire identity. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So in that way, it's a little bit um, different than perhaps some other labels, right? Mm-hmm. Where um, you know, Michael is a transgender is not the you know, mm-hmm. Michael is a transgender man. Michael yeah. is a tra- transgender person or a trans person. Um, Person first language, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of honoring again people's humanity uh, first. That's, I think, really key in yeah. understanding trans terminology. Um, so let's talk about some common identities that fit under this trans umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've talked about transgender men and women. Landon, do you want to share a little bit or do you want to define that for our audience of who transgender men and transgender women are? Yeah. So um, transgender men um, are anybody who was not assigned male at birth or was not thought to be male at birth or was not um, like raised female or ra- sorry, raised male from the get go, yeah. but who identify as male and live as male and trans women would be the opposite. And that trans is we the same root word as any other time you see the word trans just meeting across. So it's right. just anyone who starts as one gender and moves toward a different gender. That's their true gender identity. So anything that's moving Toward man would be transgender man. Anything towards woman is transgender woman. Right. And some people will use will say transmasculine or right. transfeminine, yep. um, especially in like more non-binary identities. Like I tend to say that I'm transmasculine mm-hmm. instead of tr- uh, trans man because mm-hmm. I don't always resonate a ton with like the manly manness of it. But I definitely am masculine, so I'll say transmasculine. But just meaning the same thing. So if if the label is man or woman, that is what they identify as. Yep. So it 
if somebody was assigned male at birth and now presents as a woman, you would say that they're a trans woman because yeah. woman is their identity. Exactly. And I think um, I'm really glad you brought up the distinction between um, trans men and trans women and trans masculine and trans feminine um, because there are trans people who after they transition fit comfortably within binary gender, right? Mm -hmm. Who fit comfortably into that box of woman or man as a trans person. Um, and then there are lots of people that don't, right? And so there are lots of folks that, um, like you said, you don't always feel like man resonates with who you are, but masculine does. And so that's a really interesting characteristic and a nuance, I think, that is good for people to kind of pull out, you know, and, and kind of understand that there are both uh, folks who in the trans community that don't resonate with gender binary genders, right. Of any kind and people that do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people think of gender as a spectrum. Yep. So it's not like a blue box for boy and a pink box for girl. And if you want to switch, you have to jump all the way into the other box. Right. It's like a whole color wheel. Yeah. And if you are on, you are like supposed to be on the blue side, but you feel more of a greenish yellow mm -hmm. in your gender, then that movement towards the feminine or whatever it may be right. um, can make you trans masculine, trans feminine, because you're moving in either direction. And that doesn't necessarily have to be now putting yourself into this other closed box. Yep, mm -hmm. absolutely. So then we have, uh, so this is kind of an older term um, that I don't think is used much now, but it was very much the term to describe people like me when I was uh, transitioning and first coming out um, transsexual. Um, and so this term really denotes people that undergo both a social and medical transition process um, to, to go across, right? To become a different gender than they were assigned at birth and to become the gender that they are. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I, I, this is not a word that is used really currently. Yeah. And so it's, it's not, not something that today. was used yeah. like in my time as a trans person. <laughs> um, but my understanding of it is that it is more just a descriptor of a trans person whose transition is an alteration of like their biological yep. sex as well. Which is why it's like transsexual because like, the like sexual organs might, you know, like it, it is more of like that medical physical transition right. above just like a social, like changing of name or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it tends um, not to be used as much anymore. I think also because there's not as much of a like necessity in the trans community to medical, like there's not one definition of transition. Mm hmm. It's not like a one size fits all. And some people don't have the option to medically transition yep. or don't need to like people will call it fully transitioning, uh -huh. but not everybody needs that to like not have gender dysphoria. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like people talk more about like transgender and your gender identity versus having descriptors that talk about like what stage of medical transition you are in. I just don't I don't really hear people even really ask each other about it that much. It's just like, that's your private medical information and it's not like necessary to, you don't have to medically transition to be trans or to be trans enough. Yeah. And I, I think that's also like, again, a generational difference mm -hmm, sort mm -hmm. of in my generation of um, transitioning. Um, so we had an entirely different system that we transitioned, tra transitioned under uh, called the uh, Benjamin standards of care. And so there was, um, a very delineated process and it was very much transitioning from female to male or male to female and no nothing else was yeah, acceptable yeah. under those standards. Um, and so there was a completion, right? There was an end that you got to, and that really resonates with some people. Like for me, that really mm -hmm. resonates for me. Um, that really resonates, I think with kind of folks that transitioned around my time, you know, there were a lot of folks that, um, would go through both the legal, social, or and, and social process of transitioning and that medical process, like you're talking about, because that's really transsexual, really denoted that sort mm -hmm. of in my day of coming out mm -hmm. and transitioning. It was like transgender people can be, I guess, kind of what we consider gender nonconforming or genderqueer or all these other things. Mm -hmm. um, but transsexual people were people that did the medical process, that took uh, hormones, right? That did the HRT, that did surgeries. And changed as much of our physical bodies to reflect our gender identity as we could, right? There are mm -hmm. some things we can't change, like 
chromosomes, <laughs> right? Can't change my chromosomes, uh, but I can change my hormones. I can change secondary sex characteristics, like having facial hair or not. Um, I can change, uh, I can have top surgery or bottom surgery, right? To change those parts of my body um, that did not fit with my gender and my gender identity. Um, and so, so yeah, so that was, um, and it's interesting, I think for, for my generation of people that were transitioning in the late nineties and early two thousands, that was really important to us. Um, but I, I definitely see a generational difference of like, it's not as important to folks transitioning today or in yeah. the past 10 years. Yeah. So it's interesting to see like those changes in the community, you mm-hmm. know, and you still see that reflected, um, in like as a very specific example, but in some places you can't get your gender marker on your birth certificate changed yeah. unless you've had surgery like Arizona, because you're not really trans or not really committed. You're not committed to the bit if you haven't had surgery. Um, but some people like right now, like I had top surgery a year ago, so I had uh-huh. a chest surgery um, and it was awesome and I loved it and very happy that I did it. But with my, I have some like health issues mm. that have arisen in like the last year. I would be very hesitant to have a surgery now. Like I don't think, no, that that would be a safe or a good idea, and recovery sure. would be very difficult. Yeah. And so, like, I just, it's sad to be in a position where medically I wouldn't be able to get a surgery that I really wanted for my gender dysphoria and then to be told I'm not really trans or not trans enough or I won't count as a man until I have surgery mm. when that's like not a medically safe mm-hmm. option for me. Yeah. So there are, there are lots and lots of reasons um, why people might not be able to transition and it Definitely. could be medical limitations. It could be financial limitations. It could be just not having access to healthcare where they are. Yep. Um, and th- I don't think that those should be requirements to be trans, but they are very, very important and essential to some people. And I'm, yeah. so I'm not like anti medical totally. transition or anything. It's totally. just, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think there's a, I, there is no one way to be trans for trans people. I think the legal process we'll get into later mm-hmm. as that's a whole nother thing um, that, has lots of complications because there um, there isn't just one standard in this country, right? It's definitely state by state, and there's lots of things, lots of factors in that. So, um, all right, should we talk about some other terms? Yep. All right, how about non-binary folks? Non-binary is pretty self-explanatory in the name. It's just <laughs> anyone that identifies outside of the two gender system. So anyone that uh-huh. doesn't fully resonate with male or female, and they identify as something. And that this can be a little bit of an umbrella term. It can be somebody who doesn't identify with either gender, mm-hmm. um, somebody who identifies with both genders, mm-hmm. somebody who sometimes identifies with one, sometimes identifies with the other and doesn't want to lock themselves into one box. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be um, very androgynous people. It can be people that present very masculine and feminine but don't yeah. feel inside limited to one gender. So um, it, it is kind of like a a large term that just covers any experience that is happening outside of yeah. Man or woman. Yeah. yeah. I've heard several non-binary people say um, that for them, being non-binary is more about how they express their gender. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, is that something that you hear commonly or is that, because I feel like, like with transsexual, like we were just talking about, that's very much, I think, something that is not necessarily about how people express their gender, but that's about changing our bodies to affirm a deeply held identity, right? Like a, and, and going through relatively, I mean, there, I don't mean this in a weird way or in a dismissive way, but large processes, right. Or mm-hmm. like big interventions into our lives, right. That are medical interventions to affect that core deeply held sense of who we are. Um, but I've heard non-binary people mostly talk about expression, how do I, I'm, I'm working on understanding that. Um, I, so there is it like, okay. So non-binary, I think sometimes is too big of an umbrella mm, term. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of experiences that fit under that. Yeah. And sometimes that causes there to be misconceptions about, other non-binary people because people sense. will generalize. Yeah. So there are some people um, who identify as non-binary 
who do not experience gender dysphoria. Yeah. They just like to express themselves free from the shackles of manhood and womanhood. You know, like they just want to express themselves freely and don't want to feel limited to one or the other. They yeah. don't feel super attached, but they they don't have dysphoria, which we'll talk more about in a minute. Yeah. But they don't feel that distress with their body and with the gender they were assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. They just want to be free to be whoever they want to be without the limits of gender. Gotcha. And then there are non-binary people who have dysphoria just as extreme as binary trans people it's just that theirs does not end in a different binary it takes them outside the binary awesome um and i've had like i was talking about top surgery with somebody and about how hard it was to like save up and to be able to afford it and just talking about like i don't know we're just talking about surgery Mm -hmm. and then i said that i had a really hard time convincing my surgeon that I was serious about getting top surgery because I had mentioned that I was non-binary oh, wow. and they were like, Oh, so you didn't really need surgery then. Like the person, the trans person that I was talking to said that. Oh, wow. And I was like, um, I needed it just as much as you. Yeah. And they were like, well, but like you didn't really need it. You just wanted it so that you could look like aesthetically have a flat chest. And I was like, I don't think you understand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there is, but there are some people who, Maybe it is aesthetic just right. as much as any other cosmetic surgery and mm-hmm. they just want to be able to dress a certain way. And it feels like just same with like a breast augmentation or sure. reduction, you know, they'll get top surgery. But that's not the case for all non-binary people. Mm-hmm. So it is like a very big umbrella that covers a lot of different experiences. Yeah. So I wouldn't generalize and say that it's just about expression. But for okay. some people, it definitely is. And that's OK. And right. they can still be not like everybody can be non-binary sure. who feels non-binary. Um, but some of that is expression, some of it's internal, some of it's dysphoric, some of it's, you know. Yeah, I really appreciate that because I think this is a question I get a lot and something that, that I've personally been wanting to kind of tease out more of like, um, and I think, again, a challenge of umbrella terms, right, is that you've got lots of people of many different experiences mm-hmm. under that umbrella term and maybe competing sort of experiences in some ways, right, that then force people to be like, wait a second, I don't quite understand here, um, but it's nice to have that explanation that um, makes room for both experiences under that umbrella term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's like sometimes people think that non-binary is like this third gender now. So there's like male, female, and non-binary. Yeah. When non-binary just means anything that's not the male, female, strict binary. So it really, like, it's just such a huge idea and not one concept that can have one concise definition that applies to everyone. Yep. Which makes it very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Genderqueer. Um, so genderqueer, uh, when I was early into transition, was kind of the term that I feel like in some ways, and, and gender fluid as well, and gender nonconforming, that sort of described some non-binary experiences, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think genderqueer specifically comes out of maybe sort of academic thought and queer theory, right, of sort of queering things, right? So queering gender, um, so that it's, uh, it's like an active act to queer gender, which to queer something is to, um, take it out of, right? The sort of hegemonic system that it exists in the current system that it exists mm-hmm. in and do something different with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And queer is a lot of people like queer as, a like as a label for sexuality, because, mm-hmm. It just dis- it's just like not straight. Mm-hmm. Like anything that's outside right. of like the straight world can be queer, and a lot of people don't want to like who have more complicated sexualities don't feel like they need twenty different labels to describe their sexuality. And I'm the same way. I just identify as queer because it just like means not straight. Mm-hmm. And if people like, I don't need to define every aspect of my sexuality to somebody who's not like my partner or potential partner. So like, yeah. I don't feel a need to be specific. Yeah. And I think sometimes gender queer is like that. Um, for people who just don't have like a perfect label that works and genderqueer yeah. just covers it's just like I'm just genderqueer. Like yeah. I exist and my gender can be whatever I want it to be and it's not cisgender, but you know, it's mm-hmm. just awesome how it is. And then sometimes I hear people use it who don't want to use non-binary because they want to forget that there's a binary and mm-hmm. saying non-binary honors the binary. Mm-hmm. And so saying gender queer is just kind of like opens it up to, it's like kind of the same concept almost as non-binary, but in a way that doesn't center the binary. Right. I think of queer in general as, um, 
I think a little more than not just not straight, but not heteronormative. So yeah, taking yeah. yourself out of heteronormative, which heteronormative means um, all of the societal expectations to be uh, heterosexual, right? To be attracted to someone of the opposite gender, right? And to mm-hmm. get married, to have children, to live a certain way, right? Um, that is, uh, you know, kind of the nuclear family, right? So that sort of all falls into heteronormativity. Um, for me, I think genderqueer, I really like that you mentioned like it, um, it's very much about decentering um, mm-hmm. the binary experience or the, the sort of heteronormative experience of gender, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's more fun to, de- to define yourself in terms of what you are and not define mm-hmm. yourself in terms of what you aren't. Absolutely. And so, yeah. and not for everybody. I'm not saying that non-binary oh, yeah. is like outdated or not no, good. No. But it's just kind of like has a little bit of a different connotation. Mm-hmm. Same thing that sometimes people use pansexual or bisexual yeah. interchangeably because they just have a little bit of a different connotation. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I yeah. think of genderqueer. But uh, for any of our genderqueer listeners, feel free to write in and tell us what that experience is like for you. Absolutely. Um, and then gender fluid, uh, you want to take a shot at that one? Yeah. yeah. So gender fluid, um, usually describes somebody whose experience changes. Like they might feel more masculine, sometimes more feminine other times. Um, for some people that just means like they'll dress really butch one day and then really femme the next day. And they just feel like they're free to express themselves with however they feel in the moment. Um, some people will change their pronouns while they're gen- like, if they're feeling really masculine, they might prefer to be called he, him. Right. And on other days they, them might feel better. Um, so it just describes any sort of like shifting gender experience. And that can be day to day. That can be month to month, year to year, just somebody who doesn't feel like their gender is like nailed down to something. Yeah. Um, and then there's gender nonconforming. So gender nonconforming, um, again, I think, this is a term that was maybe a little more popular a, a few years ago, uh, kind of before non-binary was as popular as it mm-hmm. is. Um, but very mean, very much means not conforming to um, the binary experience or expectations of gender of male or female, right? So people mm-hmm. that um, you can even be cisgender mm-hmm. actually and be gender non-conforming. So that can be people that are uh, perhaps very masculine men, right? Or very, uh, I mean, very feminine men, very masculine women, right? Um, or maybe a very masculine men, man that wears a dress or yeah. do you know what I mean? Like there are lots of ways to be gender non-conforming. And so this can both exper- uh, describe an experience or expression of gender um, or for other people, it can very much experience, ex- describe their sort of core sense of gender as being not a part of that binary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And gender expansive, we had a long conversation before we started recording, <laughs> trying did. to decide the difference between non-conforming and expansive. Um, and some of that is kind of that connotation difference that we were just talking about, I yep. think, with non-binary and genderqueer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does, like, describe, like, living a gender experience that expands beyond what is societally expected of yeah. you. And so that can cover, like, there. sometimes people will say, oh, the gender expansive community meaning the trans community, but not all non-binary people identify as trans and they want to group them into that. So just like gender expansive covers everybody who lives a gender experience that's like not your like cisgender, like typical expected experience, I guess. Yeah. Um, And some people will use it in the same way as gender non-conforming and be cis or trans. Some people use it to describe their trans experience. I feel like it is like a very... um, a term that's used in a lot of ways, but what I don't, I also don't hear this one that much. So yeah, what is either. this like in, in your experience? Um, I feel like this is one that I don't hear a whole lot. Um, I feel like it's one that's more academic, I guess, maybe to sort of in use as an umbrella term to kind of, um, describe anyone outside of cisgender experience. And so, um, yeah, this feels like uh, it's very much one that's um, that I more read than hear, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. see it. The time that I see it the most is on websites. Yeah, me too. When yeah. people are trying to be super broad mm-hmm. when addressing, like, 
anybody who has a unique gender experience yeah. that don't want to like limit it to just saying trans because that might not cover everybody or you know right. whatever. Yeah. Uh, so it can be a very inclusive mm-hmm. term, and also some terms so queer, mm-hmm. gender queer, gender expansive. I feel like those terms are really good terms also for people who are just starting to question and develop their identity who mm-hmm. don't have a specific label sure. or who want to be included in those spaces without needing to fully out themselves sure. with their like full identity yeah because they label you as queer and part of this community without like giving you like a super specific label which can be very very helpful yeah uh, to people sometimes yeah absolutely so so that's a bunch of terms that we've just thrown at you and hopefully giving given you um some definitions around and some useful thoughts around. Um, I know Landon, you and you identify as trans masculine and non-binary and I identify as a trans man. So we both have kind of described our experience in some of these. Is there anything else that um, we should share about our identities when it comes to these kinds of terms? Um, I think as a general um like you're like, hey, how about you speak to your personal experience? I'm like, generally, <laughs> but um, these labels are helpful for people to understand their own experience, mm-hmm. feel validated in their own experience, connect with a community that shares similar experience. Yeah. These are not diagnostic terms, right. and they aren't things that you can assign to other people. Mm, yeah, um, and so. Like learning these isn't like, oh, I'm going to go out on the street now and be like, oh, that's definitely a non-binary person. Like right. that is for someone to share with you and the label for them to identify with themselves. Yeah. So it's really awesome to understand them so that when somebody tells you that they have these labels or if you realize that these apply to you and you want to celebrate that, that's awesome. Um, but they're not too, I don't know, you know, like just like assigning people genders on your own or to like diagnose people with being non-binary or whatever it is. Yeah. So um, I guess in my experience, my labels have been very personal. Mm. They've also changed. Mm. I didn't identify as non-binary when I first came out. Yeah. It was when I started transitioning that I was like, oh, I can like settle into this middle space and be super comfortable there. And that might change again. Like I might start hormones again and be like, oh, wow, this feels really good. Like I really want to be more masculine. Right. Um, So I would just invite everybody who's listening to be respectful of labels, to listen to other people about their labels, and then also to understand that these labels can change just as much as I can change from being a student to a full-time employee. You know, like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. everybody's labels change throughout life. Everything that you do changes. Somebody can go from being Christian to Buddhist, and that's a totally fine change. This is kind of the same way. And not to say that it's just like a frivolous choice for people to be um, transgender, but things change as you discover yourself and as you grow up and as you experience life and as you experiment and – that doesn't that never means that somebody's label was wrong the first time or that they're confused. Right. And um, that's something that I hear a lot is like, oh, they're confused about their gender. Maybe people are still working it out, but it's not about being confused. Right. So. It's about figuring out who you are, right? And I think I mean, hopefully everyone listening can relate to that because as adolescents and as young adults, that's what that time in our life is about, is figuring out who we are, you know, at our core, our everything from uh, deeply held identities and beliefs, right, to um, how we want to show up in the world, right? And so mm-hmm. um, I think for trans people and people that fall under the trans umbrella, um, which I think is a bit of a different experience from cisgender people, um, we do a lot of discovering about our gender during those times, right, that perhaps takes some extra steps than cisgender people that just fit into the gender that they were assigned at birth. And so um, all of these are really important identities um, that are completely valid, like you've said, um, that describe the human experience of gender um, in a way that makes the experience of gender more rich, right? And Mm -hmm. more diverse and interesting. Um, So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. (laughs) How many genders are there? That is a good question, Landon. A very good question. Uh, I would say when I was growing up, I was taught that there are only two genders. 
male and female, men and women. What about you? I don't really think that gender is real. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's silly to put numbers. Like it seems like gender to me, and I know I've talked about this many times, it's like an art form. Mm -hmm. It's so fluid and open to interpretation and different in every culture and different in every decade. Um, and we put limits on it by putting definitions on it because human beings love to define things to mm-hmm. make them easier to understand. Yep. And so um, putting, I don't know, putting a number on it seems silly. Like we're just making up a number. I don't know. <laughs> like it does seem silly to me to try to like enumerate them. Um, but I was also taught that there's two and they correspond with the biological sexes, which we yep. just talked about. There's not two of those. <laughs> but, you know, the two uh, – like basic genders, I guess, male, female, and that's yeah. all that is socially normal. Right. Um, and that's the gender binary, right? Mm-hmm. That male and female, man and woman. Um, what I think is interesting about uh, the gender binary, and I love teaching people about this, is um, that even sort of concepts and standards around the gender binary have changed over time, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the uh, late 1800s and early 1900s, all babies, regardless of their gender, were basically dressed in dresses and very feminine attire until um, they reached, you know, sort of a later age of differentiation, um, which was past toddlerhood, right? <laughs> and so, um, or in that same time, uh, pink was associated with boys because it was thought to be a more masculine color mm-hmm. than blue, and blue was associated with girls. And so um, even within the gender binary, um, as you mentioned, at different times and in different societies, we have different expectations around gender and different social norms around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's set up to be a two-part system you know set up to be a binary but the the kind of like target of that binary is always shifting and the ideals and the standards um are not set in stone they change with culture right um but it does at least in our like mainstream western and american culture it's centered around this male female binary and that might move back and forth and flip-flop a little bit as far as what's acceptable and what's um, expected for those two genders, but it does stay that binary yeah. structure for the most part. Yeah, and I think that's, um, I think that's very much uh, a part of sort of the scientific um, understanding of humans as a species, right? And so, like you said, it, the genders, the this gender binary is very much correlates with. Um, biological sex, right? Which, or what we have understood um, in the past as biological sex and the attributes of it. And that has become a more complicated understanding now that we have a better understanding of genetics, right? And um, of things that perhaps in the 17th century, 18th century, 19th century, we didn't have the mm-hmm. technology or the information to understand. And so, um so, yeah, so I think we're actually complicating our understanding of not just gender, but also biological sex today, both of which are real, right? And both of which mm-hmm. um, are a little different than perhaps as simple as male or female, even though for, you know, it is important to say that for probably most of the population, um, they fit within their gendered experience fits within their biological sex or their assumptions about their biological sex. Mm-hmm. Even the cisgender experience to me is so broad. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like I already made a color wheel analogy, but get ready. I'm making another one. (laughs) But imagining looking at a color wheel and there's definitely a red section, Mm -hmm. definitely a blue section, definitely green. But could you draw the line between where the blue stops and the green starts? Good question. You could not. There's like a section that's like definitely bluish green that you're not sure and there's some that are definitely blue and some that are definitely green yeah and so that's kind of how i feel about the like the cisgender experience is there is so much color included in what's considered um like female and male sure and then they start to get into this gray area and start to overlap um and so even within female i feel like there are so many ways to be female like which to me is kind of like different genders like different types of female that there can be and it's like we have some set limits and we 
try to put set definitions on what makes a woman. And I feel like that's a really big political discussion right now. It's like yeah. everyone's like define woman, define right. woman, define man. Right. Um, even though they ask define woman way more than they d- ask define man. Yeah. Um, but and even that is so hard to do because it is so hard to think of a set of characteristics that define every woman and exclude every non-woman. Right. It's just not possible to do. There's so much overlap, so much gray area. Yeah. And so um, that I, I love that question of how many genders are there and yeah. what is the gender spectrum because there's just there's so many ways to be. Yeah. And we have these like kind of arbitrary little circles of this is definitely man, this is definitely woman and everything else is like makes people uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think that's based on um, archetypes or stereotypes, mm-hmm. right, around what who a man is and who a woman is, right? And so let's I want to do a little activity. This is going to be a little weird cuz we're asking you to do an activity with us while we're not with you. But I'm going to ask listeners to take a minute and think in your mind right now who is a man, right? Form that picture in your head, right? Like when you think of man, what do you think of? What are the images um that are associated with that for you and who does that include? And then do the same thing for woman, right? Who are women? Uh, who's the, the archetypal, stereotypical woman? Um, and then let's think about, do you know anyone that completely fits either of those images, right? Of man and woman. And most of the time, I love doing this in a group setting because I'll ask people, okay, so let's think of, you know, women or woman. Um, so describe that person to me, right? Like, uh, and lots of people will be, well, longer hair or long fingernails or, uh, wears dresses or, you know, like just Mm kind of like giving different characteristics and things. Um, but the fun part is, is after we define sort of each of these gender experiences, I'll ask everyone and I'll say, okay, so if this is everything that it is to be a woman and this is everything it is to be a man, nobody in this room fits all of those things mm-hmm. because invariably, like you said, right. We'll be, we have such a, every everyone, even people that fit comfortably within man and woman or male and female have such a very gender experience, right. And express their gender in many ways and are comfortable with different aspects of gender, um, that you've got a lot of variation even within that system mm-hmm. population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And they're like, even, and I love that we're talking about this after doing the intersex episode, because even chromosomes can't define what a man mm-hmm. and a woman is. And you yep. can't define a woman by somebody who can give birth because tons of cis, cis women can't do that mm. um, or don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't say women have uteruses because not all women have uteruses. You know, like there are so many like cultural and then even the biological factors that cannot possibly describe all women and be a prerequisite to be a woman, mm. not even including like trans and non-binary women, just cis sure. women there. It just cannot, like you're saying, there can't be a set of standards that applies to every single woman that every single woman right. fills or even one single woman cannot fill all of those expectations and standards. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. I think at the same time, there are common experiences though of people within those categories. And I think that's why people feel comfortable with those categories, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, motherhood is very much an experience of many people, not all, but many people that identify as women, right. Um, or femininity, right. Or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Again, not exclusively, uh, the, uh, the grounds of women and womanhood in today's society. Um, but that is something that is a common, a uniting factor for many women. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's where it gets really interesting. Um, is how do we balance, you know, there's never one identity or that will be, that will fit everyone, or there's never one way of being anything <laughs> in the world. Yep. <laughs> and we're just, we're a species of many different kinds of people and we live life really differently from cultures and times and all of that. But there are common experiences that people tend to l- lump into those categories and they feel really comfortable with, mm-hmm. or many people under yeah. feel comfortable with. But again, not everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like giving birth or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's fascinating to kind of balance those things because I want to, I always want to make room for people that don't fit into that thing, but also want to honor people that 
do fit into it. Yeah. It's yeah. a tough balance sometimes. Yeah. Cause, and I, I do always say like gender isn't real. <laughs> like, I really I think it's just made it's up, so funny. but even oh. it being made up has value. Yeah. Like even if it's just socially constructed, there is value There's in value identifying in with a group. Yeah. And there are things, it, it's interesting being a trans person and being able to identify with things from both mm-hmm. groups mm-hmm. because there are experiences that are pretty unique to womanhood, yeah. um, especially regarding like safety and the types of dangers that women face that sure. men generally don't have to deal with that I have gone through and had to deal with mm-hmm. and women's support is more valuable to me mm. in those types of contexts. Interesting. Um, and so, yeah, like there are things that tend to be uniting factors yeah. for women or uniting experiences for men. And as a trans yeah. person, like we kind of, I mean, every everybody has like a little bit of both in some ways, but I feel like especially being a trans person, there are like things that we do and will share in common with women because of how we were raised in our past experiences that we also share in common with men because being masculine and being men, you know, it it is like interesting to, because you can't like, I cannot just move from like, Oh, I used to be a girl and now I'm a man and that's it. Yeah. Because like that shaped me, like being raised a woman shaped me. And I had experiences that are pretty unique to womanhood that I went through. Even if I wasn't a woman, that's the life I was living. You know, Absolutely. And I think the converse is true for people that Mm -hmm. grew up being socialized as men, right. Mm -hmm. And experiencing or as boys and men. Um, yeah, that is so interesting because it's, it, there, there are things that I find very valuable, right. About that experience. And, um, Again, things that shaped me as a man by growing up and being socialized as a girl, right? Which is a weird thing to say, Uh but true. Um, And I value both so much, right? Like I, the experiences I had playing sports with girls, right? Like being on women's teams, being in women's spaces, right? As a young, as a adolescence or, um, you know, very young adult, um, those were formative moments that taught me important things about life and how I want to show up in the world and um, have actually, I hope made me a better man. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I love thinking about that stuff. And that's something that makes me excited about educating people about yeah. um, like what it is to be trans, to be gender expansive mm-hmm. um, because I would love to live in a world where I can openly celebrate both of those experiences and mm-hmm. talk about them mm-hmm. Um, whereas right now, like, I feel like I'd make people uncomfortable or I put myself in unsafe positions to like relate to women about certain things. Like, oh, I have to pretend like I don't know what they're talking about. So I can like, you know, like, but I would love to live in a world where I can be like, yeah, I know what period cramps feel like and they suck. You know, like I know, like I've lived through things. I know things. I know the hard things. I know the good things. I love how my like experience womanhood adjacent experience shaped me even though I didn't enjoy being yeah, a woman absolutely. and I, I like I, I do love thinking about how I'm like, happy that I went through some of those experiences mm-hmm. and I love how they shaped me and I would love to like embrace that in a more open way uh-huh. but when people don't understand gender then I feel like it looks like oh I'm not really trans I'm not really masculine if I right. you know right. and then that makes a really complicated and unsafe situation Yeah. so thank you everyone who's listening for me and <laughs> making the world easier for me by knowing what I'm talking about <laughs> <laughs> I love it so a question that I feel like I get a lot or maybe concerns that I hear from mm-hmm. folks um, especially in this day of like trans folks being so politicized right um, all over the place um I'm I'm often getting questions from people that fit very comfortably within cisgender and the gender binary um, that feel supportive of trans people and people that experience gender as a spectrum and um, or in gender nonconforming ways or non-binary folks for our experience, right? Or trans folks for our experience, but seem to feel frustrated when they feel like they are being asked to change who they are, or they feel like there are some folks who are in our community. They're trying to get them to change who they are, not just respect who we are. Have you experienced any concerns around that? And how do we address that when we're talking about things like the gender binary, gender as binary or gender as a spectrum? Um, I've got some thoughts on it that actually go back way back to the first time I heard Leslie Feinberg speak, but what do you think? Um, 
I think that a lot of what people feel like they're being asked to do or asked to change um, are small. But it feels overwhelming to have those things demanded from you mm-hmm. or demanded in a very confrontational or threatening way mm-hmm. um, or to feel like you will be made to feel like less of a person or a bad person if you can't like catch up and right. know exactly what to do and how to refer to people and what vocabulary to use. Um, and when people are asking for those changes and asking to for help, like – living a safer life and having more respect in the workplace and in their families. Um, when that's done in a very confrontational way, people will get defensive yeah. and then people shut down and they fight back. And that's just like a natural human thing. If somebody comes at you and is confrontational, yeah. more than likely you will shut down and fight back and get defensive and get angry and feel like too much is being asked of you. Yeah, And that's such a hard, and I, I do hear a lot of people say that they feel like the trans community is so angry all mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. and they don't like interacting mm-hmm. with trans advocates because they're so angry all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I would love for people to recognize that the reason people have so much anger in them is because they've experienced so much pain and discrimination mm-hmm. and hatred and bigotry from people and they're fed up and they're tired and they want change. Yeah. And that can make them not always a hundred percent patient with everybody all of the time. Sure. Um, but I also would love for our trans community to recognize that sometimes things get done faster when you're more patient and not slower, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, and sometimes when I, I know I, I have a lot less frustration and anger 25 years into transitioning and, mm-hmm. and just growing older also as a human being, having different experiences. Um, I'm in a really different place psychologically, emotionally, physically, where mm-hmm. I am much more prepared, I think, to hold fragility, to hold fear from other people, right? To hold like anxiety that other people are having, whatever those things are, and to help people through it, right? I'm in a place where I can be more patient, where I can give, extend a lot more grace mm-hmm. than I could when I was 20. Yeah. And for me, it's really important, something that I want to encourage folks who are trans, like, if you are in a place where you cannot hold those things because of where you are at in your life, there's no fault in that. That is a part of all of our process, but maybe that means that your attention should be on you, right? And Mm -hmm. your life and creating support systems for you and getting what you need to get to a place where you are able to um, feel whole on your own, right? Feel like where these things and other people's anxiety does not threaten you, right? Where you are so good in who you are and where you are at in life that it doesn't matter. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And mm-hmm. so um, I just want to encourage folks to focus on themselves when they need to. I'm a big proponent of therapy. I love therapy. I think everybody should go to therapy. Should go <laughs> go to, therapy. to therapy. I say I'm not going to therapy currently. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, there are times when you are going to need to work on yourself and it's not always the time in your life to be an activist and that's okay. Yeah. And we go through phases, right? And it's okay to be in an activist phase and then go to a phase that needs to be about you and your life mm-hmm. and then go back into an activist phase and then go out of it. And, you know, like those things are a part of the ebb and flow of life. Yeah. Um, And I think they're really important, especially in terms of trans people taking care of ourselves and being effective advocates. We have Mm -hmm. to balance those things. Um, I also think a lot of, um, so the first talk I ever heard Leslie Feinberg um, give in person, I was so excited about it, (laughs) went up to Oregon for spring break to like hear them speak. Um, And they started their speech, which I think threw everybody in the room off. And this is like, I think I was 21 when I uh, went to this uh, speech at Lewis and Clark University. Um, And Leslie Feinberg started the speech with, I want to begin this speech by saying something very important to me that I think we need to think about basically as a trans community. And they said, I want to tell everyone in this room to defend the gender binary. And everyone went, what is happening here? Um, But then they went on to talk about, you know, that all gendered experiences are valid. Right. And that as trans people, we do not have to carve out 
we don't to carve out space for our experience to be valid. We don't have to tell people that yes. fit within the gender binary that their experience is invalid. Mm-hmm. And that was a really important learning moment for me, right? That instead of an and or, it's a both and, right? <laughs> or instead yeah. of an or, you know, it's an and, right? It's like, oh, both of us can fit. All of us can fit in this gendered experience. Um, and I was uh, out of town a few weeks ago, I think two weeks ago, and a friend of mine were and I were talking about this, and this is a man I respect deeply, wonderful, complete ally and advocate. Like he works for a cisgender person that is often working for the rights and the needs of transgender people. Um, and he said that, you know, he's like, I'll do that all day long. He's like, but I don't think I, to be an ally, he was like, I don't need to start every conversation with my pronouns. You know, he was mm-hmm. like, and and if there are things that, like if to be an ally, I'm required to somehow change the way that he experiences manhood, then that's inappropriate. Right. And like, it was like, yeah, I feel that, you know, like your experience is just as valid as mine, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the only thing appropriate to ask from somebody is to stop behaviors that are actively oppressing or restricting other people. And beyond that, like as much as I want to be free to be whoever I want to be without expectations and limitations and discrimination mm-hmm. against me. I want to offer that to other people. I don't feel a yeah. need to like tear down their structure and everything to have a space. Yep. Like we can all have spaces and sometimes trying to tear down other spaces to be heard just makes the tension against you that much greater, you know, yeah. like yeah. there doesn't have to be as much pressure sometimes as there is. But also sometimes, like, we have to turn the heat up to get people to listen. So yeah, it's a balance. It's a balance, yeah. And I think, like, what you were saying, there there have been times that I had to completely step away, like, no interaction with the queer community because I just, like, needed a mental health break yeah. from thinking about how terrible things are sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, sometimes things are hard. And when I'm going through a really hard time and I'm trying to figure out my gender and I'm experiencing, like, really intense gender dysphoria and just having a hard time opening up my phone and the first thing that I see every day being another hate crime or another like political move against my community. It's really heavy. Yeah. And I, a lot of people, do you remember I'm saying I'm asking for the sake of prompting you, but I know you do. (laughs) Do you remember off the top of your head? Um, the number like percentage of people who don't or who know a trans person? Yeah. In, uh, uh, as of last year, it was in the light, latest survey, it was 33% of Americans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was who do know. Who do know. Who, 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 who know say that, that they, they know a yeah. trans person. Who say who that know they, they know, know that they, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's a pretty low, like it's a solid percentage of people, but it's not a ton. No. And especially in certain communities where trans people are more oppressed, that number might be a little bit lower. Like yeah. it's super conservative communities, super religious communities. Right. And so in those types of communities where one person comes out, it's really easy to make them the poster child mm-hmm. token trans person right. and to throw that person into advocacy work yeah. and to be like, oh, well, this person has questions about trans people and I only know one trans person, so right. I'm going to go grab them and make them emotionally responsible for educating this person. Sure. And some trans people are super happy to do that right. and some are not in a position to be able to do that. And I yep. think a lot of us trans people don't know where to draw those boundaries for ourselves because yeah. we feel like we're letting the community down yep. if we're not like stepping up and being a hundred percent advocate all the time. Yep. But I love that you brought that up because it is okay to take care of yourself and not feel like you need to be an advocate. And if you're not emotionally like prepared to handle the weight of other people's ignorance, mm. then like that more damage might be done on both sides. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It yeah. can, it can be a very, very challenging thing to be an advocate in a community that actively wants to like eradicate you. It, it can be a challenging thing to be an advocate no matter what. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's a big responsibility that you're taking on. And, um, you know, for, in terms of Americans that say they know a lesbian, gay or bisexual person, it's in the 90%. Right. And I think that's where, you see a lot of that's why we see have seen a lot of policy change and legal change happening and um, family acceptance going up mm-hmm. right for lesbian gay and bisexual people so social acceptance um, but with transgender people at 33 percent that's still you know like you said that means 
a lot of people know that they know maybe one person or know a friend of the family that maybe knows a trans person. Right. And so, um, and, and it is a lot to teach people, right. Cause there's, this is a different lived experience. This is a different experience of gender and it does take patience and being able to extend grace and understanding to teach people. Right. And so, yeah, it's a complicated thing. And then you mentioned if, uh, you know, when, when gender dysphoria is really kicking up for someone that can be a really hard time. Or if you're new to transition, you know, gender dysphoria can be perhaps a lot more intense in that phase Mm -hmm. than if you've been transitioned for a long time. And so, or if you've gone through transitioning processes for a long time, whether those are legal, social or medical. And so, um, yeah, I think all of those things factor into if we are in the right mindset to teach other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ask any educator, ask any K through 12 educator. Educating is not easy. It's not. It's it hard. Is, it's a challenge. Yeah. And it, it takes like skill sometimes beyond yeah. just being trans to Absolutely. educate people on yes. like trans stuff. Yeah. And you don't have to be that person. And you if don't. you want to be that person, uh, make sure you're in a good space. Yes. Go to therapy. Yeah. Do your research. Get training. Build community. Yeah. yeah be work trained. with an organization that does this so that you yep. have the resources to do it. Yep. Yeah. And if you and if you are on the other end of that, if you are somebody who is currently being educated and trying to learn, um, I would love to invite you to extend the same grace and patience yeah. and understand that trans people who are trying to ask you for respect and for help and for you to use the right terminology are not like necessarily experts in training you how to do that. They're yeah. just people, people who really want your respect and support. So if we could get some patience both ways, effort both ways, um, for, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, the world would be a kinder, gentler place yeah. one person at a time by doing that. So yeah. I love that. If everybody stays curious. Yes. Then <laughs> yeah. Then we can move forward. So I think this is turning into a two-part episode. What do you think? Yep. Okay. Sure. <laughs> All right. So we're going to cut this one off here and we will pick up again next week with part two of Trans Folks and Trans 101. Awesome. All right. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Gender Curious. You can find us weekly on every major podcast provider on Facebook at Gender Curious Podcast and Instagram at Gender Curious Pod. Please like, follow, share. It would mean so much to us if you could leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you're using to listen. And if you have any questions or just want to reach out, please feel free to email us at hi, H-I, at gendercuriouspod.com or leave us a comment on any of our social media. We'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, stay Stay curious. curious. Gender Curious is recorded at Full Swing Studios and is a member of the One Community Podcast Network.